I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon and warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests, one hour. It's Monday, the 6th of March. I'm not David Kosh, I'm Nadine Blaney. Nice to be here with you and I've got two great guests here with me. Philip Pepe from Sean Partners. Good afternoon. Hello, Nadine. Surprise, I'm here. Um, and welcoming from Melbourne, Daniel Ortiz. He's joining us from Lincoln Indicators. Daniel, welcome to the program. I'll just stick with you because we're here. Uh, look, there's always that uh, sort of lack of big corporate news in the wake of earnings season. Are you still crunching all the numbers there at Lincoln Indicators? What did you make of the season? Yeah, I think it's definitely more important to reassess after reporting season because you're trying to really recuperate all these results on the day. It's extremely difficult. So for us and me personally, my favorite part of reporting season is coming back after the results have ended and really digging into the details and trying to gain some some really inside analysis there. So we're definitely probably even more busier at the moment, uh, trying through everything we found interesting. Uh, you know, I think, you know, reporting season, it was probably one of the most difficult seasons in a while, um, given the, the change in expectations, the change in margins, um, certainly uncertainty in guidance as well. So it's a very difficult market environment at the moment, but also creates a lot of opportunity for those willing to do the, the research, dig into the details and perhaps hold a bit more conviction in some of their investments. Okay, well, we will find out in the next hour whether or not you've got conviction for any of these companies named here. But before we get there, I'd like to just ask Philip Pepe because January, great month overall. February, not so much. Now we're in March. In the US, traditionally, March is a pretty strong month. Um, but this week is a classic example of just so much macro news to digest. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think in January, uh, for some reason in Australia, we were expecting maybe one more interest rate rise at the most until the Reserve Bank came out and said, no, we're getting a few more. It's plural. Um, so we saw the reaction mm -hmm. play through in February. And I think we're still going to see that play through. Tomorrow is obviously another critical day. And we saw that in some of the earnings, not, not just the banks, it obviously impacts you know, directly. CBA, for example, gave us a lot more data in terms of how their um, net interest margins moved over the December quarter. But a number of companies, particularly smaller companies with a lot of debt, um, you can see how their interest rates or the interest costs are going to change over the next 12 months as they start to roll their debt. So I think uh, analysts came back from the holidays thinking, gee, my, um, my earnings might be okay at the revenue, maybe even at the EBIT line, but at the profit before tax line when I start factoring in higher interest costs, um, we probably saw a few more downgrades come through than people expected because of higher interest mm -hmm. charges going forward. That, people didn't really know what the amount would be until we saw a print or got, got some bit of guidance um, from companies. All right, so we've got uh, lots to digest uh, in relation to that and in relation to reports that have come through recently. Companies in focus this half hour, Commonwealth Bank, BWP, South32, Remelius and Ample. So quite a few, you know, very well-known names there. But I picked stock of the day, uh, Brainchip, reason being, Share prices up close to 19% today on 
You know, news that it's introduced to market, I suppose, a second generation Akita platform, uh, just going by the ASX website and their announcement to it, it says that the new version adds new capabilities, giving it a competitive edge for industrial, automotive, digital health, smart zone, home and smart city applications. So it's uh, predictive production line maintenance that it looks to really be um, you know, helping to increase its exposure to with this second generation Akita platform. So I thought this was an interesting stock of the day because it is one of those companies that you know you can see huge swings in its share price on what? Like Daniel, I'll come to you first. So this is talking about the, you know, the introduction of this second generation platform. It doesn't actually put any figures around it or any you know, addressable market figures, you know, it's just, it's just a bit of a press release in my view. Do you see it any different? I think it's fair to say that I'm just as confused as you, Nadine. I'm, I'm really not sure what's going on here. Um, Brainchip is one of those companies where, you know, it's, it's kind of driven by market sentiment, really. And we're not too sure what's going on with the technology. We're not sure what's going on in terms of materiality, like you said, whether this will bring new revenue, whether this will bring new clients, we're just really not sure. And the fact that there is so much uncertainty is really enough for us to say, okay, it's probably not the stock for us. Um, you know, in fact, you know, our probably philosophy at Lincoln Indicators is to purposely avoid these type of companies where they're most, mostly speculation rather than fundamental um, company analysis there because, you know, it's a, it's a pre-revenue company. It's in a billion dollar market cap. So quite simply put, you know, we're not too sure what's going on in, in terms of today's announcement. You know, will the stock trade up and down? We guarantee that it will. It will be extremely volatile. And, you know, I think it's not the stock for this type of market environment at all. I think we'd be more than happy to be sellers if we did own this stock today. We would sell. So let's go to Philip Pepe. I mean, are you more intricately aware of Brainchip, of its plans? What the first generation Akita platform will versus today's announced second generation platform will actually mean in terms of growth for the company? Yeah, I'm still scratching my head. Uh, okay. I used to own this company. I Did bought you? it a number of years ago. I bought it and literally the next day it tanked. Uh, I stayed underwater for about three years and then it rallied for no reason. I sold it, made a small profit and then it went ballistic mm -hmm. and now it's come back to, to back down to earth. Um, it's an interesting technology that, as I understand it and I used to own it uh, but I don't really understand it. Uh, they, they're creating a product where they license the hardware. It's an energy efficient artificial intelligence sort of um, video ID kind of product that they're trying to build. Uh, huge demand if it works. It's just been a long time to get there today. It, I remember when they first went through a billion dollars and they got a speedy ticket from the ASX. Mm -hmm. Management account said we don't know. Like yeah. just mums and dads and all the pundits got behind it and pushed it up and they said we can't explain the share price. Uh, and today off the back of really the next iteration of their technology, which is natural in what they do, stock's up 20% uh, coming off a 12 month low. So it was 50 mm -hmm. cents, which is a 12 month low a few days ago. It's been well over a dollar, it's a billion dollar market cap, but leading money. Uh, perhaps tomorrow when the RBA comes out we get the inevitable 25 base point rate rise, we might see a few IT stocks like this one get sold off because that's what happens when interest rates go up, long duration stocks often fall. So it's a punt, it's a good punt, but it's a punt. If you can handle the volatility, I'd call it a hold. Um, I certainly wouldn't buy it. Uh, I get asked about this one a lot and often people who own Brainship also own Bitcoin, um, yeah, yeah. funnily enough. So if you're a risk junkie, maybe it's one for you. 
uh, it's just very volatile and in this environment uh, volatility is not your friend. I, I'd be very cautious um, but if you owned it, if, if you can stomach the volatility, I'd hang on to it but it's not for everyone. Yeah, but uh, you did not have the stomach for it. I think it's no. worthwhile pointing out. There's brain chip. Look guys, that is why we're seeing the share price up almost 20% on the day. Whether or not those gains will hold is anyone's guess. All right, then let's get to the companies that have been nominated by you. This is for James, good old Commonwealth Bank. Well, Daniel, if you do not like specky kind of stories, there's plenty of fundamentals to go on here when it comes to CBA. Are the banks right now good long-term holds on any sort of a pullback or uh, you know, as we sort of were talking about through reporting season, have we hit peak banks? Yeah, I think the, that kind of thematic around the commentary on the word peak there, it's more to do with the net interest margins because number one, you've had more scrutiny on these banks to increase their deposit rates and saving rates. So that, that net interest margin naturally will get uh, crunched away as well. When you have a lower growth environment in credit, the banks are now competing for market share. So they're not just happy to take the overall growth in the market. Um, now they're fighting more uh, fiercely in competition for mortgages, which means, of course, that you know it's, there's going to be an even even further decline there in NIMS from the peak. So we are a little bit cautious on that story. You know, you know I think to, to sum it up, um, we, we've sold it from our growth portfolios, but still hold it in our income portfolios because number one, you're getting a, a pretty attractive, fully frank dividend yield. Sure, it's not as high as other big four banks. But, you know, we feel that CBA does deserve to trade on a premium. And as well, you know, a lot of our members and a lot of our holders have owned the stock for a long time. So there's taxation um, uh, taxation reasons as well that you'd be holding on to this stock. But I'm afraid that I think we are kind of headed to more towards the peak um, than an acceleration, certainly in the banking sector. So we'd be happy to trim these, you know, in terms of profits and perhaps looking to either keep the capital in the bank because you're getting a good return there or reinvest the proceeds in something with a little bit more upside for growth investors. Okay, so you would trim, but you are holding in your income portfolio. Yeah, I think it's important to frame it within what type of investor you are, because if you're investing for growth, it's likely that you've kind of peaked out here. But you know, if you're a retiree, more stable, looking for a stable income, um, company which is going to be less volatile in the market in general, you're probably holding on to it. So I think overall, if you're looking for growth, you trim it, sell it, take profit. Mm -hmm. However, if you've been holding this one for a long, long time, you know, you're unlikely to sell it. So you'd probably just be holding it. Got it. Philip, how do you see CBA? Look, I tend to agree. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it a hold. Um, I think consensus opinion is it is expensive and it is one of the more expensive, well, I think the most expensive bank on the Australian market. Having said that, I've been hearing CBA is expensive for a decade mm -hmm. and it keeps going up. Uh, agree, um, in terms of the data they put out uh, for December, net interest margins seem to have peaked. Uh, deposit costs are being uh, now worn by the banks instead of uh, worn by you and me. Um, having said that, credit growth is slowing. It hasn't crunched. Um, you know, Housing prices have come off. They haven't crunched. The, the consumer's hanging in there. The January credit data that came out showed that credit slowed, but CBA grew at three times um, industry rate. So if uh, if we do get a slowdown and things get more ca competition, you back the company with scale and CBA has the greatest economies of scale uh, and they should be able to win market share uh, in, in a declining market if that's what we get. So by no means am I saying it's a buy, but I'm saying if we do get a slowdown in the banks, banking sector and credit declines, um, 
and um, in any interest manager client, you think CBA will pull some cost leverage to get some economies of scale that the others don't have, and it'll perform relatively mm -hmm. well. And it does provide a good yield. And if we get a big rebound in Aussie share market, all the international funds will buy CBA before they buy something mm -hmm. smaller. So it'll, it'll run pretty quick. So it's sort of almost the opposite of brain chip. If you're worried about volatility, you own something like a CBA, which is a lot more steady than a, a small cap or a market cap tech stock bleeding money. Resilience is the theme there. All right, let's get to South 32. And I will say that the brokers, the best we've got, Ordminit, Morgans, and UBS neutral to a hold on CBA. The other brokers, Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley, and Macquarie have underperforms or underweights on the stock. Okay, let's get to the next company that's been nominated by you. Don't forget, this is information only. This is not, this is not financial advice by any by any means. Okay, so let's get to, uh, I've got stock, BWP is the next on the list. This is for Ray. Uh, Philip, I'll start with you for a change. What do you think of BWP? Look, I've got it as a hold. Um, probably trusts are interesting because there should always be an inverse relationship between interest rates mm -hmm. going up and equity values going down. It's more so the case with property companies because A, it's property, and B, they're often geared. Um, having said that, this one's linked to Bunnings, uh, and Bunnings yeah. tends to do quite well versus other retailers, and its gearing is only 15%. Uh, I've seen some uh, property trusts come through there in the 30 to 40% range, so they are moderately geared. Um, interest costs will go up. They'll have, it, they'll have it, I think it's got a three to five year hedging in their book, but eventually those um, leasing costs will go up. But they've also got CPI-linked um, rentals, so with, with CPI doing what we've been doing, they've got some top line growth to potentially offset the, the rising cap rates that we'll probably see into 30 June. So for me, it's a quality book. It's not the right sector to be in at the moment, but we're, whatever interest rates peak at, we're probably not far away from the peak. Um, so this is one to watch closely. I'd call it a hold for now, uh, but it's certainly one of the more quality property trusts in the market um, worth following, I think. Thank you. Daniel, what about you? Because yes, quality, Bunnings, stalwarts, inflation linked, but if you're thinking about property, this is sort of a one trick pony in a way. You know, Would you prefer to be in some of those listed REITs that have a more diverse uh, property base? Yeah, not entirely, Nadine. I think the fact that it is, you know, a really simple portfolio of assets that investors can understand, number one, and number two, the, the fact that, you know, these are really, really high quality properties and they're in, you know, they're in uh, areas of scarcity, you know, large format retail areas, you know, in, in great um, in great locations, you know, high density metro areas. I think the fact that, you know, it's not uh, diversified and not in office, et cetera, that actually has been holding this stock up quite well. We've owned BWP for a few years now, and what we're really enthusiastic about, like Philip said, is that a large portion of its um, rental increases are linked to CPI. So it's actually had some of the strongest top line growth um, this year than it has had in, you know, many, many years. Uh, and the second thing is that a lot of investors see that way or that weightage average uh, lease expire and get a bit concerned at around three, four years. But the majority, pretty much all of those leases have, you know, five, 10 year options. So it's very, very likely that those will be exercised. We're seeing, you know, extremely strong top line growth. And like Philip said, at 15% gearing levels, it actually means that the impact of rising rates won't be as, as costly as the majority of rates out there. So we'll probably see BWP actually potentially using their capital balance and cash position to acquire assets, or if not, use them for development. So I think it's in a really strong position. And out of all the REITs out there, this is one that I'd be buying. 
so that you would buy. Okay, we've got a hold and a buy for BWP Trust. That's good. All right, that's number two on the list. And let's get to number three, which is South 32. This is for Michael. At look, in the wake of its results, pretty positive view coming for most of the brokers on this one. UBS has a buy, Morgan's an ad, Morgan Stanley an overweight, City a buy. What do you guys have on uh, South 32 at Sean Partners? Uh, we don't cover it. Um, yeah, Peter O'Connor, our large cap analyst, uh, moved on. So um, relying on consensus data from this one. Um, I'm going to call it a hold yeah. because the that what was good in their most recent result was the volumes were up. I think the volumes were strong versus consensus forecast. But the commodity prices went backwards and costs went up. All miners are facing high cash costs. They are second, third quartile on the com cost curve. So if you're a, a mining company, you want to be lowest possible um, producer they are not so as costs go up they will feel it um, more than um, some of their peers uh, although they're flagging a decent second half for me I think I would actually want to see that before I weigh back in to see if they've got costs under control and to see if their particular commodities actually recover or at least maintain where they are at the moment so because of the um, declining I think they're um, Think their profit went backwards in the first half um, i would wait and see how that plays out see if that settles before rushing into this one okay got it uh daniel let's get a view on south 32 from you because management is very focused on copper on zinc but also some of those future future facing materials so you know we're thinking about manganese and and the likes but it's very diversified so it is diversification to you when it comes to south 32 key yeah, absolutely. We prefer miners that have diversified operations. Traditionally, you know, you might have uh, a sector of metals, say base metals increasing and say precious metals pulling back. So when you have that diversification, it really does help, you know, essentially maintain profitability throughout the cycle. But, you know, South 32, it's, it's a large cap company now. I think it's just entering the ASX 20. So it kind of goes to show that this is a company um, with very, very large assets um, that's able to manage the cycle much better than the majority of its peers um, within that base metal that base metal industry. South 32's primary earnings drivers are in Met Coal um, with their Illawarra mine in New South Wales and the second is in the aluminium chain. And you know, you've seen both of those commodities kick up recently, which is probably why you have positivity from the sell side. I think this is a case where it's the right company but the wrong time in the cycle. I'd probably be trimming and we actually did recently trim our holdings in this company, but it is a fan fantastically run business. Um, I think, you know, it probably only really got its flowers in the last two or three years or so um, to show how good management is. There was a few important transactions in this company. One of it was a divestment of their uh, South African thermal coal um, business, which was a terrible business. So very important that they divested that. And the second was the acquisition of that Sierra Gorda copper mine, at least an interest in it. And that's probably going to give them that exposure to, like you said, more future-facing commodities in copper. So I think this is a business still under asset transformation um, and it's the wrong, wrong company, but perhaps wrong time in the cycle. So we'd be, we'd be trimming it. Okay, and just on costs, because again, we start to consider whether we've hit peak costs with some of these miners. Did you get any hints in reporting season that we have hit the peak in terms of costs? No, certainly not a peak. There definitely is um, upside uh, trajectory in costs, primarily because you've had that labour inflation, which is you know one of the more um, one of the largest uh, percentages of costs in their operating cost environment. As well, what doesn't get spoken about enough in miners is the capital costs. So the the costs to construct new assets or the cost 
to conduct exploration has gone through the roof, um, and that's something that you know might get hidden in the investment, uh, the cash flow from investing in the cash flow statement. But please keep an eye on that because a lot of companies out there are highlighting NPAT um, for a mining company, and they're losing cash on a free cash flow basis. So you really got to be aware of what you're buying right now at this point in the cycle. Um, South 32 is still profitable, so we're, we're not as concerned there, but some of these companies out there are, are certainly looking like they're going to need a capital injection soon. So be really mindful of that because costs aren't going down anytime soon. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, just while I've got you then, let's get on to the next company on the list, which is Romelius Resources, RMS. This is for Peter. Macquarie's uh, upgraded it in the wake of results to outperform. Ordmanet has a buy on the company. It's a, it's a WA-based gold producer. Uh, do you like Romelius, Daniel? Uh, no, unfortunately not. I think this is one of the companies that have really been struggling um, from that cost perspective. If you look at kind of where the company's forecasting, they're hoping to get some scale benefits in the next one or two years to reduce that cost base down, but they're such a small producer. I mean, they have two mines, the Mount Edna mine, which is the larger one, produces about 100,000 ounces per annum, which is just incredibly small. And, and in this type of environment, doesn't provide enough scale. Um, and you know, you have essentially costs increasing um, as a function of production output because they are a smaller cost, a smaller production company. So I'd be cautious on this one. I think if you're looking for gold exposure, it's really tough at the moment because the majority of them aren't making any money. Um, Romelius was slightly profitable, but you know it, it simply doesn't have the scale and the asset quality that we'd be looking for at the moment in the gold space. Um, so I think you know, you, we'd probably be a net seller of this and prefer other exposure, to be honest, because it is really, really difficult and you have to be extremely selective when it comes to gold at the moment. Okay, well, you keep saying that you would look elsewhere, you're looking for scale. So in that, does that mean a new crest? Does it mean an evolution? Not necessarily. When we say scale, we're probably looking for more, you know, the mid tiers around 500,000 ounces. Um, and it really is important to consider what part of the cycle in terms of their investment phase. So a company like Newcrest or Evolution or even Northern Star, they're actually investing really, really heavily at the moment for growth, which we probably view as a net negative because there's some uncertainty in that cost environment. Gold prices are quite elevated. If that does have a pullback, then that investment spend will probably be, you know, uh, sunk, sunk in capital with not much return over the next few years. A company we like at the moment is Perseus, and you know you have to be comfortable with that Western African exposure. But they're essentially in cash flow stage right now. They have their three operating mines. They're just gushing a lot of cash. Probably has the highest free cash flow out of any gold stock on the market at the moment, um, and it has you know one third of the size and production as as a um, Northern Star. So that's what we mean by being selective. We're looking at those companies now that are returning the cash now. And we believe that in a year's time, if conditions deteriorate, they'll be the ones in a position of power to leverage that balance sheet, leverage that cash flow, and look to improve their overall asset quality. So we'll be looking at a company like Perseus at the moment for gold exposure. Well, Daniel, we haven't done this show together, but I'm going to call that your bonus buy. So there you go, Perseus <laughs> over Romelius any day of the week, it sounds like, for Daniel. Uh, Philip, what do you think of Romelius? We get a lot of questions. I've said this before, but we get a lot of questions from our viewers these days on gold. As a house, we like gold and we have a strong preference for Perth-based gold companies. You don't have the sovereign risk that you do in other parts of yeah, the world. Because a lot of them are sort of operating in Africa or different yeah, parts of the um, world, okay. So we're, we're a very safe economy to, to work in unless you're producing coal on, on, on the East Coast, perhaps. Um, this stock is trading well below consensus valuations. So there's a circa 
27% expected return in it. Um, so all, I agree with all those views, it's probably largely in the price. Uh, their recent result was good just to highlight how low expectations were. They generally beat consensus um, in their revenue and impact line uh, with their most recent results. Their expectations were low and they came in ahead of expectations. And importantly, um, to the point on costs, their all-in sustainable costs are around Aussie 1750 to 1950 um, per ounce. That's important because the gold price is above 1850 US. So they are profitable and as my ex-colleague used to say, commodity companies follow the commodity prices. So if gold price goes up, uh, this stock will go up dollar for dollar, which is probably why we're seeing the, the turnaround in the chart. So if your view is positive um, on the gold price, this company should benefit disproportionately uh, and being in Perth gives it the extra tick of approval. So for me, with the current gold price, actually it looks like a buy, so I'd, I'd call it a buy. It doesn't mean there aren't better stocks out there, uh, but on its own actually looks like a buy at the current share mm-hmm. price. Well, you're used to analyzing these things, so thank you for that, Philip. It's okay to have some disagreement on this program. That is what does make a market, as you all well know. We're already at number five, and this is a company that, yeah, we all know. Ampol. I'm just getting up some sort of consensus view on Ampol, but I'll start with you, Philip, on this one. Um, again, we've got um, you know a couple of outperforms. Outperform on this one from Macquarie and a buy from UBS, but otherwise, a couple downgrades coming through. From, um, in the wake of its results? It's an interesting one because we've got a few stocks on the list today that are doing very well at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's a slowdown uh, in Australia, they may well actually feel the pinch. Uh, and consensus is forecasting a pretty material slowdown in this company. So predominantly they're an oil refinery business. Uh, they made very good margins uh, last year at just under $18 a barrel. Uh, for January, they started off well, outperforming that. So they've, they've had a strong year last year and January um, doing better than mm-hmm. the average of last year. So in the medium term, um, it looks like it's uh, doing better than it was last year and it looks cheap versus, um, versus uh, analyst forecasts. I'm going to call it a buy in the short term because I think uh, based on the current run rate, it's going to be a strong first half result coming up. So okay. happily own it into the first half result. If we get a whole bunch of interest rate crunches um, and we're forcing the economy into slowdown, obviously fuel consumption will reduce and their volumes will drop off anyway. Uh, but if you're in the soft landing kind of space, um, they're doing very well at the moment. I see no reason to sell it. So I'm going to call it a buy in the short term, long term hold. Okay. We'll just make the rules up as we go. Why don't we, <laughs> Daniel? Let's bring your uh, view into Ampol here because, yeah, the market seems pretty divided on this one. I guess the question is, has the recent outperformance already been put into the price? What happens then, to Philip's point, if there's a bit of a slowdown coming, which you know there very well could be? Yeah, absolutely. That's the risk there. And we spoke about potentially there being a peak in net interest margins in the banking sector. You know, there's very much a peak going on here in the refinery margins for Ampol. So that's what we're concerned about. Like Philip said, it's probably a stock that you can probably hide in and hold for the next potentially six months because refinery margins are actually coming in higher than what analysts were expecting. So it likely is a signal to us that the next six months, you know, will we'll, we'll be fine. Um, but that longer term thesis, you're probably going to have a reversion in refinery margins. So we're probably a little bit less positive on the company over the long term. Um, pretty interesting, though, because Ampol, it's, it has been, you know, rolling out um, in terms of its convenience centers and looking to take more market share in the country. Of course, it recently acquired Z Energy as well. So it has been pretty aggressive in its strategy, you know, 
perhaps will that come back to bite them in terms of the amount of gearing it has on the balance sheet? That's what we'd be concerned of as well. And I think if you're invested in this stock, you have to do a bit of due diligence into their debt right now because they're paying out a lot of that profit and capital in, in dividends and special dividends. So I'd want to be super comfortable with their, their debt position right now, specifically, you know, what are the um, what are the, the structures in terms of whether it's floating or fixed? And secondly, what is the average cost right now? Um, because, you know, I, I see that as being a, a significant risk, not potentially the company, you know, going insolvent, but whether or not that interest cost will balloon out and take away a lot from profitability. Because like Philip said at the start of the show, what we've noticed is that interest costs continuously come above expectations. So that's something we're concerned about for a longer term investor. In summary, you know, you can hide, hide within it for six months potentially, but we're probably a bit more negative on the longer term view. So it's a hold for now? A hold for now, um, but obviously kind of it, 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 it depends on what type of investor you are. You know, if you're, if you're looking to fund new purchases, this is probably a stock I'd allocate that in terms of, uh, in terms of a sale candidate. But if not, you're happy to stick with it, receive the next dividend, hold for six months. Yeah, like I said, everyone out there, this is not advice tailored to your own personal circumstances. You've got to do your own re research and take a good long look in the mirror as well when it comes to a lot of these um, you know, companies and the information around them. Okay, let's give these guys a time to just to have a bit of a recoup and I'll run you through what we've learned already. Brain chip. So it is a sell for Daniel and the team at Lincoln Indicators. It's pre-revenue. They purposely avoid these specky companies when nobody exactly, at least in the room here, can put their finger on what it is that they're doing and when it will come to market. Look, Philip has owned this stock in the past. He says it is a punt. It's for risk junkies. If you already own it, he'd hold it if you can stomach the volatility, but he would not be buying in at this stage. I mean, it's interesting technology. Everybody seems to agree, but uh, even Philip, who formerly owned the stock, can't tell you exactly what it is. Okay, number one on the list for you all is Ample. This is for Simon. Actually, it's not. Let's talk about CBA, shall we? Let's go CBA first. It is a trim if you're looking for growth, a hold if you are an income investor for the team at Lincoln Indicator. He says this bank does deserve a premium. Philip sort of agrees. He says people have been calling this an expensive stock as long as he can remember. He would hold it. He does back a company that has scale and has levers to pull in the case of a slowing economy, which is a theme that will come up uh, you know, repeatedly throughout the day today. BWP, it is a hold for Philip. The gearing is low. It's actually a buy for Daniel Ortizzi, though. So 32, it's a trim for Daniel right now. He says it's the right company at the wrong time. It's going through this asset transition, so there are uncertainties associated with that. Uh, look, Philip says there's no need to be rushing into this one right now. Wait for the second half results. See what's happening on the cost front. If you're in it, though, he would hold it. Romelius, it's a buy for Philip. Team at uh, Sean Partners is pretty positive on gold. They like Perth-based gold companies. And he does say that it's trading below consensus. It's a sell, though, for the team at Lincoln Indicators. He just says that it's struggling on cost. No scale. He likes companies with scales. He likes those like Perseus. That's your bonus buy. And Paul, it's at risk of slowdown. It's a hold for Daniel Ortiz. If you're an investor that's not really looking for growth or looking to allocate new capital, uh, you could hold this for the next six months. It's a pretty safe place to be. It's a buy for Philip in the short term, keeping in mind things might change. It's cyclical. And in that case, a little bit longer term, it's more of a hold. He reckons that it's pretty fully priced. 
All right, that brings us to the halfway mark. Um, we've got a little look into our high conviction fund picked by our investment committee. We just are getting a new episode ready for you right now. So just remember that Aristocrat and JB Hi-Fi were removed. We had Paradigm and New Century Resources added. New Century now has an offer on the table and BHP, CSL and Boss weightings were increased. So we're currently up by close to 13% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st of 2022. So we're up to the, the year mark for this one. So keep sending those requests in. We'll keep bringing you the investment committee and uh, we'll see which ones they'll be looking at next shortly. That's tomorrow. I do believe that episode goes live at 4.15 Eastern and we'll get it up online shortly after that. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Okay, this half hour we will be talking about Circo, we'll be talking about Cobram Estate Olives, Transurban, no doubt inflation will come into that conversation, Aussie Broadband and Hello World which has been doing pretty darn well as of late. Let's start with Circo though, this is for Kenny. I'm going to start with you Philip on Circo. It's an interesting one. Sure, it's a customer. I've used the product. It works yeah. pretty well. And they had a pretty good trading update, I think, at the midpoint. Uh, they increased their guidance by 18%. It's a travel booking platform, uh, predominantly corporate. We're at full employment. They are booming. Qantas is booming. Hello World's booming. Flight Center's booming. So the travel sector, after having a you know, terrible couple of years with COVID, um, has never been stronger. That, that, that's the irony, those that got through it. Um, will the economy come crashing down? Will um, their revenue fall in a heap? We're at full employment. The a lot of the companies I spoke to last month uh, have put on far more expensive staff uh, in February. That'll come through, or reported in February, that'll come through the rest of the calendar year. We're not, unemployment's not going up in a hurry anytime soon. Uh, it may eventually, but I think uh, for the foreseeable future, strong result flagged. It should have a strong 12 month period. I'm going to call it a buy. Uh, mm. it's, it's trading well below um, consensus forecast. If you're pessimistic regarding the economy, if there's doom and gloom, if there's a recession coming, you don't want to own many of these stocks, but I'm, I'm not doom and gloom. So the company seems to be delivering. They've just upgraded. There are worse places to put some money than the travel sector at the moment. Um, Qantas had a, was it, a record profit mm -hmm. recently. So it's not slowing down anytime soon. So I think, uh, I think so it goes a buy. Got it. Now, um, Daniel, I'll frame the conversation with you as this is one of those classically beaten down technology companies. It's New Zealand based, in fact, um, and they've got big plans for the company. So the trading update really talked about this new interface that's being released. Hiring is actually slowing down as this comes nearer to fruition. Is Circo a growth company? that you would be confident allocating to because not only does it have plans and the trading update was you know pretty positive but but because you know times potentially couldn't get worse yeah it's it's a tricky one and i think the fact that it's a new zealand tech you know like Nathan you typically says on the show means you have to have a look at it um, and it is a really interesting company. I mean, before COVID, they did have really strong momentum. I believe they also have a commercial arrangement with Booking.com, which mm -hmm. is 
you know, clearly a massive deal. I'd like to look more into the commerciality of that. Um, but at the moment, you know, we're probably still a little bit more hesitant on the recovery in travel stocks. Uh, I think you can be super selective in this type of exposure. Circo, it does have, you know, a lot of cash on the balance sheet from a pretty significant raise. So keep that in mind. You know, if you look back at the share price chart, you know, it's raised a lot of capital since pre-COVID. So it's, you know, unlikely to head back to those $8 levels in the near term because it's essentially doubled, if not even more than that, it's, its capital base. So be um, a little bit cautious of that. Um, but we're still a little bit cautious because it's simply not profitable yet. Um, we'd be waiting for for that more normal trajectory in operating performance where we can analyze the financials uh, in a more normal way. I think, you know, there's another travel stock that we're going to talk about later on in the show. And the fact is that, yes, they are recovering, um, but the situation still is a little bit cloudy on that, that medium-term outlook. So we're probably not as positive on the travel sector. If we were, I'd much rather be in a company like Webjet or Flight Center with much bigger brands, um, more stable businesses, and probably a little bit more of that um, operating leverage in the in the P&L. So I think we're probably comfortable perhaps holding this stock, but you know, not too enthusiastic on the recovery here. Hey, look, I'm gonna give my producer a heart attack right now because it doesn't make sense to be talking about Soko and then avoid the fact that we've got Hello World coming up a little bit later on. Why don't we just stick with the travel theme and go right to Hello World. Sorry if you guys are getting your notes in a mess, but it is 10th on the list. I mean, Hello World has been doing really, really well again. I've spoken to so many people on this small caps program that are saying, you know, this is one to be in, at least for now. Does Hello World offer more, you know, is, is Hello World more attractive to you than Circo? You know, in terms of the operating business model, I actually prefer a company like Circo, which is more on the tech side, the booking side, um, a little bit less capital intensive. Hello World's more of that, you know, that travel agent type of business model, um, a bit more physically um, intensive in terms of you have to have the stores um, out there as well as you have to have the right agents on board being able to organize and, and book, you know, um, travel locations for clients. So I'm actually probably more positive on Circo, to be honest. Um, I've noticed as well a lot of uh, small cap investors are, are seeing a recovery in Hello World, but you know I'm probably less lukewarm on the stock. I, don't, I just don't think it's a high enough quality company comparatively to those bigger named companies that I mentioned earlier, because you know it's competing directly with much larger, more scalable businesses. So I'm probably a little bit more cautious. Yes, there's an earnings recovery story there, but you know at the end of the day, we're probably you know more looking for higher quality businesses that we can own for the longer term. So, you know, I'd probably be, you know, a, 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 an unenthusiastic hold here as well, preferring to sell this stock when it does um, get a bit of a bump up if it has a trading update showing strong momentum. I'd probably be looking to exit this stock, to be honest. I just don't think it's high enough quality. I'm putting a sell on that from the team at LinkedIn Indicators. Um, yeah, hello world. Shuffle I'm, your notes. What do you I'm think? I'm going to say bye. Yeah. Uh, you're happy to admit when I'm wrong. Uh, the consumer's holding up, the consumer spending. So uh, Hello World's upgraded their guidance at least once. There's views in the market that their most recent guidance is conservative. Um, flight prices are still through the roof. So if consumers are spending with um, unsustainably high airline prices, when they will eventually reduce when the um, international capacity returns, that's just going to stimulate demand more. So although you've got, to one extent, rising interest rates, rising unemployment, 
some airfares are double what they were pre-COVID. So when they halve, that might offset some of the um, negative stimulus from, from the other factors. Also, what we've seen in retail is the surge in bricks and mortar versus online. People are sick of shopping on their PC at home. They want to get out more. They want to talk to a, a salesperson being a travel agent or a garment um, salesperson. And with, with travel being more expensive, you're probably going to seek out more advice today than you used to just hop online, book your trip to Bali. But isn't Hellerwell just online? No, they have uh, bricks and mortar stores as well. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the, their biggest frustration was they lost a whole bunch of staff uh, during COVID, or they let them go. Uh, full employment, they've gone elsewhere, so they've struggled to um, mm -hmm. to recruit them all. Um, but they, they're exposed to um, the consumer as opposed to Serco is more corporate. Uh, mm -hmm. So for me, I think uh, we've overestimated how quickly this sector can recover, how much people want to travel, and based on. Um, you know, consensus. You know, cons the consensus price target is around um, 280. So there's 19, 20 percent return, and if the analysts are correct, because there's generally a pessimistic view in the sector, uh, and this company's been outperforming analysts' expectations. So it's it's a it's still in the post post COVID uh, lockdown reemergent trade, as far as I'm concerned. We're not we're not back to normal level of earnings for them yet. I appreciate uh, all the points made earlier about the risk, but I think that was pretty much well known by the market and overly factored mm -hmm. into the share price. Okay. Uh, so I think it's uh, a good 12 months ahead based on the outlook they've given. So I, I would call it a buy on, on a 12 month view, always eyes open with interest rates and um, mm. you know recession pending, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think it's getting juicy for all you viewers out there. We've got a, a buy and a sell on Hello World. Let's get to the next on the list, which is Cobram Estate Olives. This is for Jane, CBO is the ticker code. To be frank, Philip, um, I know the brand just from supermarket. Uh, I didn't really give much thought to the listed entity. Um, I do note that it saw its fiscal F, uh, first half loss widening. So this is yeah. a loss-making business in a area that is also leveraged to the consumer. Do we, you know, is olive oil a discretionary item? I don't know. Uh, uh, my background's Italian, so no, it's non-discretionary. It goes in everything, goes in my coffee. Um, I don't love single commodity plays, whether it's okay. agriculture or, or mining. Uh, they had a soft result, first half result. Analysts generally downgraded. You tend not to want to rush into stocks that have just been downgraded. Uh, I think they missed by volumes, um, obviously impacted by some weather uh, in Australia and everyone's got costs going up. So for me, you don't need to, there's so much choice out there. Um, you don't need to be in a single commodity play, um, buy a more diversified ad company if you want. But for me, it's an avoid. It's just not cheap enough. And after a pretty soft result that resulted in analyst downgrades, uh, you don't need to rush into this one. I think you've, you've got time. I'd wait for at least another another half year result to see. Okay. If, if so sorry, if you're in it, you'd hold it. No, no, you'd I, sell. I you'd sell. sell. What yeah. do you make, Daniel, of Cobram Estate Olives? Um, you know, everybody uses olive oil, um, but it's just there's lots of competition out there. I guess to just put it in in mm -hmm. frank terms, and to Philip's point, anything that has any reliance on the weather is always at the mercy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a rare agree from me uh, here with Philip. I agree with most of the points there, uh, as well as the fact that our usage of their, their product is increasing as well in our household, similar <laughs> nationality background there. But it's just simply far too difficult for these businesses on listed markets because agricultural companies, you know, they have multi-year grow um, harvesting and sell cycles. They have 
big physical intensive assets that can be severely disrupted by weather, like you said. It's just simply an extremely difficult um, industry to operate in, uh, especially for listed markets where everyone's looking at the next six month profit result. You know, that's not really how agricultural businesses operate. So similar sentiment there. I'd be selling the stock. It actually does have quite a decent market share in Australia, but it's expanding into the US, which is, you know, just an extremely difficult proposition. And unlike some other companies where you might get, you know, perhaps some technological um, benefits, synergy benefits from going overseas, you know, what are you going to get from uh, an olive farmer? So it's just an extremely difficult proposition. And we'd certainly be selling the stock as well. Two sales for Cobram Estate Olives. So that's a good one there. Thanks, guys. And, um, yeah, it's lunchtime. It's it's making me hungry thinking about all the many uses for olive oil right now. All right, Transurban is next on the list. Daniel, I'll start with you. Is this one to hold through an inflationary environment? It's got inflation-linked charges, and uh, but besides that, you know, these are heavily indebted companies, and also, will people start to you know slow their usage of these toll roads? What do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a great debate. Transurban, you know, you usually get people who are either polarized on one side or the other. And I think that's kind of uh, symbolic of how, you know, people would be thinking about the company at the moment. You know, it really is a treasury management business because everything for the future of this business is riding on the ability of management to manage that debt component of the corporate structure. So everything really lies in the balance of that because it is such an indebted business, like you mentioned. Look, Typically, this would be a stock that, you know, you'd say, oh, you know, you'd hold it for the dividend or you hold it for the income. But, you know, right now it's probably at market, perhaps slightly above market dividend yield. And you're taking on all of that risk in the Treasury there. And I don't think, you know, you're going to get the volume growth um, that you that you probably expecting to see in terms of recovery because, you know, a lot of the profitability comes from trucks and those type of logistics companies, which are slowing down. So that's something we're probably concerned about. I think it's a great company and it owns great assets, but it's a company that benefits from the interest rate cycle. You know, when interest rates are going down, its asset values are going up. You know, you're probably going to see more um, interest from pension funds, et cetera, to invest in these assets. Positive for the company, but we're not in that cycle at the moment. And that's enough for us to probably say we'd be happy to exit the stock. I actually think you're probably getting a better risk adjusted return investing in transurban bonds at the moment because you're getting a similar yield um, you're not taking that equity risk. So I think it's a, a stock we'd be happy to sell and perhaps look for other infrastructure exposure elsewhere. What do you think? This one's for Sam, by the way, Philip. Um, risk versus reward when it comes to transurban. Look, I, I tend to agree in terms of the reward. It's trading around about consensus valuation, so there's nothing in it. It's at fair value, mm-hmm. according to analysts, and the dividend yield uh, as of this morning was under 4%. So th- there's better returns out there. Uh, in terms of risk, it does concern me that although some of the areas are back to pre-COVID levels, Melbourne, home base, will that ever get back to pre-COVID with people working from home? Um, and they're in, they're in North America. Mm-hmm. So for me, except uh, the point that uh, for logistics companies, they always have to use the network. Um, as unemployment rises, as costs go up, you might forego the driving into work and uh, either work from home or, or take public transport. So for me, there's no real reason to be. There's no real reason to sell it other than there's probably more attractive investments out there. So there's no profit warning coming. There's nothing coming out of the blue that I can see. Um, so I've called it a hold, but there's nothing magic about it. If you found something cheaper and you're fully invested, I would use it as a funding source. Yeah, um, so it's opportunity cost, right? It's opportunity yeah. cost. So for me, it's a hold at best. I wouldn't rush in to buy it, but there's, there's no 
tunnel. There's no light at the end of the tunnel that's mm -hmm. going to run us over, in my yeah. opinion. So I'd call it a hold at that best. Okay, got it. Uh, look, we are already, because we've done Hello World already, at Lucky Last on the list. And this one is for Jane. This is Aussie Broadband. ABB is the ticker code. I did speak with the CEO um, the day of the report, Philip, and he was talking a lot about you know, the mix now in customers, how they're growing their enterprise customer base. Um, that has helped this current result, but um, he reckons that they're they're doing really well on that front and will continue to do so. Do you like the business? We cover it, we like it, we've got to buy on it, and, mm -hmm. and I concur with the analyst. It was a pretty good um, first half result. Their broadband connections grew 27% uh, to just over 635,000 customers. Uh, their market share is now 7%, and that's up uh, 140 basis points. So, so they are winning market share uh, and recent acquisition um, of OTW over the wire should bring about 6 million synergies annualised over time. So mm -hmm. they've got customer growth and they've got synergies to come through which will give them economies of scale. Um, a sleeper though is what's happening with NBN wholesale rates. So NBN's losing a lot of money, it's been written off. Uh, they want to put prices up in the 50 megabits uh, uh, per month category, I think from 45 to 50 at the mm -hmm. wholesale level, but put down the price of 100 megabytes uh, plus. So they're effectively forcing the consumer onto bigger plans by making the um, higher tier plans relatively cheaper than the mid tier plans. Uh, that was what was proposed uh, by the NBN uh, back in Jan. The ACCC stepped in and said, hang on, we want to take a look at this because that might not be the optimal outcome for the consumer. So they play in that sort of, most people play in that 50 megabytes a month sweet spot. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, if the ACCC overrules or stops what the NBN is proposing and we get wholesale price falls like um, is proposed in the high tiers, this will add probably 20 million bucks to their bottom line. So that's still to play out. Uh, but this whole, what's the NBN worth? What's the appropriate wholesale price? In hindsight, we've spent a lot of money on it. It's been written off periodically. Um, the lower the cost of the NBN to the wholesalers, the better it is for everybody. And if, if these guys can wear an extra five bucks a month in wholesale margin because the ACCC has stepped in and, and overridden what the NBN has put out as a proposal, that's a potential positive catalyst in the near term. But even without that, they're winning market share. Um, they've got some economies of scale because of a recent acquisition. And if the ACCC goes their way, um, there's an extra kicker there coming in the next sort of six months or however long. That That's takes. a buy. That's, That's a, a buy. buy uh, Daniel, are we ending this hour with the double buy? What do you guys think of Aussie Broadband? Oh, yeah, certainly are ending it with a double buy. I think it's probably one of the most um, one of the most attractive management teams in the market, to be honest. They're, they've done a fantastic job since they started this business and the momentum they've been able to generate and continue to take in that market share dynamic is just really incredible because as you know, NBN, it's a reselling market. So, you know, in terms of gaining a competitive advantage, it's really difficult, but these guys have done it through superior service. They've done it through great management. And what they've done now is essentially complete that, that um, fiber backhaul build out, which gives them more control of the amount of connection in terms of speed and CVC purchasing from the MBN, which is uh, gonna give them an even better service to their customers in that higher speed bracket. I think the upside here is clearly in that enterprise and government segment because the margins there are so much higher 
And if you tune into their investor day or listen to the recent call, you know, there's a lot, a lot of interest in that space for these guys, as you'd expect, because they're dealing with incumbents who, you know, typically are renowned for giving terrible service. So we think there's a, a lot of momentum in this company and, and probably one that has upside risk to guidance because in the medium term, you know, they've had, uh, they've decreased their revenue guidance, but shown that their margins can be a lot stronger than what consensus expects. So I think these guys probably can uh, can raise that guidance in the, in the medium term as well. All right, well, every time I've spoken about Aussie Broadband, the service has come up and it's really making me think I need a day to sit down and, you know, make all these calls and give me a better deal or, you know, gonna exit. Anyhow, that's a personal note. I have a bit of uh, life homework to do. Guys, that's brought us to the end of the program. Before I say thanks, let's just review what we have learned in this half of the program. So Circa, well, Daniel's a little bit uh, hesitant about the whole narrative around the recovery in travel. He would prefer to be with the bigger listed companies in that space, generally speaking. Circa is a hold at best, but it's a buy for Philip Pepe and the team at Sean Partners because it's trading below consensus. He likes the business that they're doing. Cobram Estate Olives, both of these gentlemen who do have an affinity to olive oil, uh, say it's a sell. It's just too difficult. Philip doesn't like single commodity plays and it's too difficult for a lot of these agribusinesses on listed markets, according to Daniel. Oh, I, well, let's go to Transurban. It's a sell for both of, well, no, it's a sell for Daniel. He thinks that when it comes to risk reward, you should actually be better off potentially in owning Transurban bonds, uh, but he does call it a treasury management business. Great debate continues as to whether this is where you'd want to be as interest rates rise. The best that Philip can give it is a hold, but he's also thinking about opportunity costs. He doesn't see any big catalyst on the horizon, so it's a hold to a sell for Philip. Uh, Aussie Broadband, it's a buy for both of my guests, so that will be going to the investment committee. It's all about the NBN potentially in the future, but even now, giving good service, winning over customers, they both like this company a lot. And then that takes us to Hello World. It's a buy for Philip. He reckons there is still life in this reopening travel thematic. Consumers are doing well. Prices will be coming down. It upgraded guidance, but even that he reckons might be a bit conservative. Um, but Daniel says he'd even prefer Serco to Hello World. He's just lukewarm on this. Not a high enough um, return coming through for this company. He, he would actually be selling Hello World. So it was so good, this program, because we had you know, divergence in opinion and some agreement there at the end with ABB, which is a double buy. Philip Pepe, Sean Partners, so good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nadine, not David Kosh. And I will see you at 2.30 for the small caps as well. We'll let you go get some lunch, though, in the meantime. And Daniel Ortiz from Lincoln Indicators. It was really good to have you on the program. Good, good job. Thanks, and great to be here again. All right, we are taking a bit of a break. On the other side of that, we've got Andrew Gagan to bring you through the polls. But just a reminder, you too can have your questions answered at the call at osbiz.com.au or you can tweet to us at osbiz.tv. Stay with us.